Well, thanks for joining us. If you want to join along in your own scriptures today, we're going to be in Hebrews 12 and a little bit of Hebrews 11, so you can be open to that. A couple of, um, I guess it was last week, I talked a little bit about developing spiritual toughness. I want to continue on that theme today to encourage us from the examples that the Bible gives us in Hebrews 12 and 11. Heavenly Father, we come to you as your children who need you. We depend on you not just for eternal salvation sometime in the future, but we are utterly dependent on you right now for you to walk with us, for you to give us wisdom, for you to give us direction, for you to help us say the right things at the right time and to not say the wrong things at the wrong time, for, for you to lead us to walk closely with you and to be more like Christ. To that end, I pray you would guide us today in your scripture. Through Christ, I pray these things. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and give up. I don't think I'm the only one these days who sometimes feels like you're growing weary. And I know we all find ourselves brokenhearted when we hear the stories of people who give up. And I, I think that one of the most underappreciated characteristics of mature people is simply the ability to persevere. They used to call it stick to endurance. Well, how do we do this? It says, consider him who endured such opposition from hostile men against sinners against himself. Um, so that you won't grow weary. Now, if you feel like you're looking at one leaf on the tree and to understand what the leaf is, you need to take a look at the whole, the whole tree, well, you're in good company. So what's it talking about? Verse one of chapter 12 tells us, therefore, since we also have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hinder, hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with, worse, with endurance the race that, is, that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. Some, some translations call the, the author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's a pretty sobering passage if you think about it. You know, the writer of this is trying to encourage the Christians saying, hey, remember Jesus. Remember his endurance. Remember the, what he had to suffer. 
Remember the false accusations. Remember the crowds that were against him. Remember how all looked lost. Remember how he prayed. Remember how he just took the right next step forward. Remember how he silently trusted the Father. Remember how he endured injustice, trusting the one who is just. Remember how when he was crucified and buried, the story was not over, but the Father raised him from the dead. Remember him. Consider him who endured such opposition so you won't grow weary and lose heart. See, this is why Christmas is such an amazing event. Not just the nice thought that the God of the universe became a baby, but now we can remember him and how he actually lived and how he actually endured opposition as an example for us so that when we go through difficult times, we won't grow weary and lose heart. There's a second thing. So if we're gonna be, if we're gonna be tough, if we're gonna tough enough, if we're gonna endure, the first, the first lesson is, the first thing is, hey, be inspired by Jesus. Look at Jesus' example and find courage, find wisdom, find God's presence. But that's not all this passage says. In fact, the very first verse teases us out a bit if you just start there. Um, Therefore, since we have, since we also have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside the things that hinder us. Now, immediately, it's like, wait a second, what's this talking about this great crowd of witnesses? Well, the picture here is imagining an Olympic stadium filled with witnesses and you are running your race. But as you run your wet race, there is this crowd of fans cheering you on. Better yet, it's crowd, crowds of people who have run the race that you are running. They know what it takes. They know how difficult it is. They know what you've been through and they know the victory that awaits. And as you run your race and as you're getting tired, they're cheering you on saying, keep going, don't be weary. Don't let sin or other things entangle you or hinder you or bog you down. You run faithfully because in the end there's a crown of life. Well, it begs the question, what is this crowd of witnesses? Now, um, I've heard a couple of, I've heard people deal with this a couple of ways. Some people like to make this literal. They say, they go back to the 11th chapter of Hebrews and they say, the crowd of witnesses is literally, as we are running our race right now, the people who've run their race before Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Rachel and Esther and Mary and Paul and Peter and and all the martyrs who've gone before, they are literally watching us run our race and cheering us on. That may be. Um, The text doesn't, the text is intended to be a figure 
whether it's literal, I would be careful creating an entire theology on it. What we know is this. We have the 11th chapter, and by their examples, they are witnessing to us. It is a crowd of people who, by their examples, are witnessing to us how to run our race. Pick, pick up with me in verse 13, and we see their example of the Hall of Fame of the faith. Conf um, they confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Now, those who say such things, that this world is not their home, they're just a passing through, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, if they're thinking about just living for this life, if they're living in simply a secular level, then they would have had the opportunity to return. If you want to live like this world is all that matters, you have the opportunity to do that. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Is that powerful? That idea, that whole idea, does that not compel you that the, the God of the universe, the God who's be over, beyond all things, the God who is beyond time, the God who's eternal, perfectly loving, all-powerful, he's not ashamed to be called their God. He's not ashamed to be called your God and my God when we live for a kingdom that is not of this world. Verse 35. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as... Uh, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sodden too. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. If you ever go with us to Israel, we'll show you some of those caves. All these were approved through their faith. This is the great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. These are the people who, by their example, are saying to us, you keep running. Don't lose heart. Don't become weary. In due season, there's great reward. Also, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 says, And oh, by the way, in your struggle against sin, so we just read the 11th chapter and all of their sufferings and how they were sodden to and were, died for Christ. And then in verse 4, he says, Oh, and by the way, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. I'm kind of raising my hand and saying, yeah, I haven't. That's, that's true for me. Well, before I conclude with one takeaway, um, I want to ask the question, what do we learn from these great cloud of witnesses? What do we learn when we observe the witness of Christians who've gone before us and who have uh, faithfully lived and died for Christ? 
Six things real quickly. First of all, that in this world, you will have trouble, expect it. If they received trouble, you, you will receive trouble as well. Why were you surprised? Number two, God's power is sufficient for you to be faithful. One thing that we see in the Bible, one of the things that we see when we read church history is that God was faithful and gave, gave them strength to be faithful to the end, to not uh, compromise their character. Some did. And what a shame uh, that that would be their legacy. But many did not because God gave them strength. You know, many people, uh, somebody has said that most people overestimate their ability to deal with temptation, but underestimate their ability to deal with trials. If you wonder, can God make me strong enough to face trials with faithfulness? Read those stories of faithful followers of Christ in the past. God empowered them, he'll empower you. Number three, their example clarifies faith. When you see what they went through to suffer, there, it shows what they really believed. I mean, what do you really believe about Jesus? What do you really believe about things that matter most? I mean, what do you really believe about the preciousness of your own personal happiness versus the value of eternity? You know, there. Uh, 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 life is valuable because it's made in the image of God, but life is not the ultimate value. Justice matters more than life, or else Jesus wouldn't have died at the cross. Love more, love, love matters more than life, my life, because, or else Jesus wouldn't matter, have died on the cross. See, we have, live in a secular world that's all messed up in their values, and it's kind of like there's nothing worth dying for because if you're if you give up your life, then you've given up everything. And Christians say, oh no, no, no. Our life is given to us by God, and that's why life is valuable. But what matters most is character. What matters most is faithfulness. What matters more is justice. What matters most is love. When, when they, the faithful of the past, faced death, faced persecution, and remained faithful to God, it clarified what really mattered. It clarified their faith. And so... When we go through trouble, difficult times, it clarifies our faith as well. Will you pass the test? When you're attacked for your faith, it reminds us we are blessed. Jesus said, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. There's so many people today, that are so many Christians today, they're afraid of being called evil, of being called, you know, um, insensitive, unloving, phobic, hateful, because they believe the Bible. Have we forgotten, Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you because of me, when they exclude you. When was the last time you were excluded because of Christ? When was the last time you were insulted because, because you love Christ so much? Um, I think it was John Wesley that said, give me a hundred men who love God and nothing else. Give me a hundred men who hate sin and nothing else, and I'll change the world. Well, if you hate sin and nothing else, then the people who love sin are going to insult you and exclude you sometimes. Um, blessed are you when you are persecuted. Um, read through. I, okay, I'm going to tell you the assignment at the end of the day. I, I, we have attached at the end of this um, 
a, um, a YouTube that you can listen to the first chapters of Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I want you to be inspired by those stories of how people, how followers of Jesus Christ faced the ultimate tests of faith and remained faithful. One of the stories that you'll hear is the story of Origen, although it doesn't tell the whole story in Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, when he was 18 years old, his father was martyred for Christ. And he wanted to be martyred for Christ as well. But his mom talked, talked the people who were going to kill him out of it so that he would live. And Origen was really disappointed that he got to live. Now, he became one of the great leaders in the church. So we're really thankful that his life was spared. But that's the kind of attitude that we ought to have. I, uh, all to Jesus I surrender. Lord, loving you, be f being faithful to you is what matters most blessed are you, Jesus said. I know this sounds like, this sounds really radical, but these are the words of Jesus. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and insult you because of me. Number five, God wants us to endure hardships with grace. You know, one of the things when you listen to, when you read the people who've died for Christ throughout history, there was a graciousness about them. Remember Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Those were also the words recorded by Stephen. When Stephen was stoned, the first martyr recorded in scripture, forgive them, they don't know what they do. It's also according to tradition, the words that James, the half-brother of Jesus, James the just, they called him, spoke when they tried to kill him by throwing him down and off of a off of the uh, top of a roof, and and when he didn't die, he was he, he started to pray for the people, and he prayed, "Father, forgive them; they don't know what they do." Many stories in history of followers of Jesus, they die graciously because they're committing their hands to this, and in, 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 committing their spirit into the hands of the Almighty God and Father, who's going to welcome them home. They don't live for this world. And number six, you don't know, we don't know the great that God can accomplish through our suffering. Tertullian famously said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The more we are mowed down by you, the more we will spring up. That is the story of Christian suffering through the years. It's not just historically, it's going on right now in China. I was talking with somebody who's doing work over there right now, an American um, a man by the name of Mike, a friend of mine, who um, Chinese churches where he has served are actually the police are coming in and questioning the Christians there about him. They want to know about him because they know he's an American and he's been a missionary there. and. And those churches are now being, having to go underground again. They're separating. They're, having to, they're sprouting up in other places. And that's the great thing. It's like one church will be stopped by the Chinese government. And so they'll quit meeting in that place, but they'll have to divide out and meet in other places as smaller groups. And the church begins to grow. And so it is that we don't know the blessing. We don't know what God is doing in difficult times. Well, and be encouraged today. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up.
So I want to encourage you. Here's your assignment for the week. Rather than listening to a bunch of news, um, listen to some of the early chapters of uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs and be encouraged by that cloud of witnesses so you'll be faithful and won't lose heart. Heavenly Father, make us people of depth and character and strength and endurance for your glory. We need your eyes for your kingdom, for your eternity, for your glory. This is my prayer through Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you found this encouraging, I hope you'll share it with somebody else. Um, If not, continue to pray. Continue to pray. God has used these videos in ways that I, uh, beyond what I had expected. and, And I know that's because of much prayer. So thanks. Until next time.